Nice job. Nice joke, Dylan. Can I tell mine? Why do you never see hippopotamuses hiding in trees? Because they're really good at it. Really? Thank you for laughing. Now I know what you feel like, Matt. Yes, I feel alive. Just keep telling bad jokes. Hey, we're glad that you're here in this uh, really warm place. I hope that you feel the warmth of this place, just being here inside and um, being being with one another. On the other hand, um, we're talking about Jesus, and there's these cold pricklies that he deals with. It's called Pharisees. And this is what he's dealing with as we make our way through the scripture here and through the gospels. He is uh, constantly, constantly trying to teach to the Pharisees and they just don't get it. Just don't get it. So last week we had the par- we had actually the parable of the rich man that dealt with his unredeemed steward, his manager, and he was he did some pretty shrewd acts, but Jesus actually took the shrewd acts and he says, Hey, look, you as believers, you could do this not in an earthly way, but in a spiritual way. So now he's like talking to uh his disciples, and we'll uh, continue in Luke 16, Luke 16, do I need to like turn a speaker or something, or, that's what I thought, just a hair, there you go, Uh, we're in Luke 16, and we're picking up at verse 14, we left off at 13 at the end of that story, but um, he's really describing how the Pharisees were given, not just the Pharisees, let's just say the the Jewish people were given the law. They were given Moses' law, the Ten Commandments. And God said, here, you manage these. And I don't know if you know know the whole deal there, but here's what happened. Here's what happened is... They got captured by the Egyptians. All right? They got captured by the Egyptians and they were put into slavery. God freed them of that and he gave them the Ten Commandments. Then uh, they just kept being captured and captured by the Babylonians and uh, by the Persians and everybody else. It, It just kept happening cycle after cycle after cycle. And they said, look, the reason that we're being captured and pummeled and killed and all this is because we're disobedient we're disobedient to god and his ten commandments because you guys can't live up to the ten commandments what we need to do is we need to make some more rules it's kind of like living in the united states if we keep like messing things up or keep doing things, they're just going to make more laws, more rules, more things just to keep us safe and to keep us from... And so this is what the Pharisees did, is they made more rules to add to God's laws. These were man-made laws, 
look at it right here. This is it. I show this to you quite often. But this is the Mishnah. This is the oral law. These are all the laws that they added to the Ten Commandments. It's pretty crazy, right? It's the oral law versus the written law of Moses. You have to understand that as Jesus is talking to these Pharisees because he says, look, God made you the manager of the Mosaic law for you to like live by it. And you guys were bad stewards because you couldn't live by it and you just made more. Now you've made this thing into something more than it was supposed to be. It's not supposed to be this. It's not supposed to be this. It's just you be obedient to ten. It started out with Adam and Eve just being obedient to one. They couldn't handle that. They bumped it up to ten. You get to Leviticus, he bumps it up to 6.13. They still can't handle it. So Jesus says, hey, give me everything. After he does the Sermon on the Mountain, he actually doubles it. You, you see what's happened here, right? So they're bad stewards of the law. So here we pick it up in verse 14. He says, the Pharisees, who were lovers of money, were listening to all these things and scoffing at him. Talk about telling a bad joke. <laughs> Jesus had to be really alive because these Pharisees were out there just shaming him and criticizing him and ridiculing him. Every word that he said. And he told them, you're the ones who justify yourselves in the sight of others. But God knows your hearts. For what is highly admired by the people is revolting in God's sight. Now, let's break that down for a second because the Pharisees believed that the way that you get to heaven and the way that you get the bigger mansion in heaven is based upon how much you can collect here on earth. Your financial wealth. So, literally, they set themselves up to get their parents' wealth. They did some scrupulous things to gain wealth. They were shrewd managers to get their wealth. And Jesus is saying to them, you think this is all based upon wealth, but you're totally wrong. I take you back to 1 Chronicles chapter 17, verse 16, and People all the time bust us for like just being a, a new covenant church and not teaching the Old Testament. I believe the Old Testament has much value because it tells us about the heart of God. And I want you to see this verse, verse 16, because it tells about the heart of God. It says, Then King David went in and sat in the Lord's presence and said, Who am I, Lord God, and what is my house that you have brought me this far? This was a little thing to you, God, for you have spoken about your servant's house in the distant future. In other words, David's saying, God, look at everything that you've given to me. Look at all that I have. This kingdom, my family, my wealth. And God's saying, that doesn't mean much to me. David's saying, this, this, this means very little to you. The whole wealth thing. And then he says this. 
You regard me as a man of distinction, Lord God. It's not based upon my wealth. It's based upon how you just regard me for who I am. Literally, God doesn't care about what you have, what you own. I don't even think about what you do. He just cares about who you are. Who, who you are, what he's made you to be. You as individuals, you as holy, redeemed, forgiven children of God. That's what he values. It's not the stuff. You know, there people will say all the time that we can look at your checkbook, we can look at your calendar, we can see what's important to you, and based upon that, that's where your heart is. Might be true, but then we start, if we live that way, then we start manipulating our calendars and our checkbooks to make them line up with what we truly believe. So, you know, I don't even know if that's true. Like, like you come over to my office, you come over to my office, how many of you have been in my office at my house? Wow, okay. So you've seen my baseball room. You would think that uh, you would think that I worship baseball if you just walked in there and you didn't know me, because everything in there is baseball, and honestly, it's just a hobby. It's just fun. I enjoy it. It's a it's a it's a break for me. Seventy four days till opening day. It's a break. But here, here's what I'll tell you. When I sit at my desk every day and I study my Bible, I do administrative things, uh, my desk was uh, hours spending with Micah on a Tuesday night for, for several months. And I sit there and I think about that. And then I've got the, the ball standings over there uh, made out of wood and everything, and uh, I did those with Bubba. And Kurt Murphy uh, put the door in in my office. Big John and, and, and Joe built these benches for me, and they laid the AstroTurf in there. Jeannie spent years hand-painting my wall and ceiling. I, I, I could literally go on and on and on. Tracy Leaf's, Tracy Leaf's father, who's no longer with us, just cut out one little piece of green thing and put it in the corner for me because he knew how to cut carpet. Joe Hilfiker came in and he painted, he painted the lines of the batter's box in my astroturf. I, I could go on and on and on. It's not, about, it's not about the possessions. It's really about the people and the relationships. And I sit there in my office, and, you know, baseball is a cool thing. It's a nice little theme, hobby, enjoy it. But there's more to it than that. 
And I believe that God values the person, the person, not the stuff. That's what he's saying. And he's trying to tell this to the Pharisees. He says, the law and the prophets were until John. You got to understand this because this is what I was just talking about when I said that we're a new covenant church. When he's talking about the law and the prophets, he's talking about the old covenant. He's talking about from Genesis all the way up to the Gospels. Once John the Baptist came, he was ushering in this new way of doing things. The old covenant in the Old Testament was based upon the law. You obey the law and you'll be blessed. You disobey the law and you'll be cursed. That's the whole Old Testament. And then John the Baptist comes in and he says, hey, wait, we're ushering in a whole new deal here. And Hebrews says, we're going to make the old covenant obsolete. That doesn't mean that we're going to take the old covenant and mix it with the new covenant. That means we're going to like wipe out the old covenant and we're going to have a brand new covenant. And it's all going to be based upon Jesus Christ fulfilling the law which the Jews and you could not do. That's the new covenant. It's not a mixture of taking the old covenant and putting it with the new covenant and you have this conglomerate mess of things that you judge people based upon what they do. Because, look, let's just be honest here. You guys struggle with keeping that law. I know that because I watch you. And the crazy thing is, is you watch me too. And I struggle too. But I'm not under that law. I'm under the law of Christ. It's a totally different thing. It's me, it's literally me trying to just rest just rest and say, Lord, I need you to do this in my life. I can't do this. I will fail. Look, I'm telling you right now, I will fail you. I will fail you. Trust me, I've failed many of you many times. And others in here will fail too. But the beauty of it is, it's not based upon what I have or what I do. It's based upon who I am. And so when I come in here and I see you, I see perfection. I see holiness. I see God moving through you. I see God doing incredible things through you. He says this, The law and the prophets were until John. Since then, the good news of the kingdom of God has been proclaimed, and everyone is urgently invited to enter it. When he's talking about the kingdom, the kingdom of God right there, he's talking about the mystery form of the kingdom which came which is the church. That's us. We're living in this mystery kingdom where you are literally invited into it. God says, I want you to be one of my children. Whereas the Pharisees were pretty much forcing everybody into it, saying you have to do this, you have to live your life this way, you have to have so much money. Two two totally different kingdoms, two totally different mindsets. You see, the Jews had already rejected the whole messianic kingdom at this point. Now Jesus is off, ushering in the, the mystery kingdom. 
they've rejected the Mosaic law by adding the oral law to it. The written law has more authority to the, than the oral law does, but they've got it backwards. They've put more authority in the oral law than they have the written law, and Jesus is busting their chops. He says, but it's easier for heaven and earth to pass away than for one stroke of a letter in the law to drop out. For one stroke of a letter in the law to fail, some of your translation says. In other words, you can't add or take away from the Mosaic law. The only way that it is going to be fulfilled, and it can be fulfilled, is through Jesus. He's the only one in all the earth that was capable of fulfilling the law perfectly. And he did it. He did it perfectly. Which made him the perfect sacrifice. It says in verse 18. Now, here. Look at that one. I got to deal with that, right? You go, we're sitting here talking about the law, and then all of a sudden Jesus just drops this one in. Everyone who divorces his wife and marries another woman commits adultery, and everyone who marries a woman divorced from her husband commits adultery. Yeah, that's a fun one to deal with on a Sunday morning. I think you can read it and understand it, right? You can understand that, right? But understand the context of it. Basically, there were two groups of Pharisees. One was the Hillel, and one was the Shammai. The Hillel took the law and interpreted it very, let's use the word, liberally. And the Shammai translated it very conservatively. The Shammai pretty much stuck to the Mosaic law. Where the Hillel group of Pharisees pretty much stuck to the oral tradition of the law. And so imagine this, if you've got two groups, a right and a left group, they're always arguing about stuff. Some things never change. And so they're arguing and arguing and arguing, and one of the biggest controversies they have is about divorce. And they're constantly asking Jesus about divorce because they're trying to set him up to trap him to say something that will cause him to not be true. And Jesus basically says this. Hey, look, this is the way I see divorce is right here. What you see right here. Now, I'm not going to go into I'm not going to go into the whole divorce situation because in Matthew 19, Jesus breaks it down a little bit more and we'll get there in about two or three weeks. So I'll talk about it a little bit more. But just know, this is the discussion that's happening between these two groups. You remember, you remember the the Hillel is the one that interprets liberally. You go back to Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy chapter uh, 24.1, it says this. It says, if a man marries a woman, but she comes displeased, becomes displeasing to him because he finds something indecent about her, he may write her a divorce certificate, hand it to her, and send her away from his house. (laughs) I heard a yes back there. 
Must be from the Hillels. Because they interpreted this as if she burns dinner, he can divorce her. When the whole intention of this was really about sexual indiscrepancies. That's what that verse is about. But literally you can you can walk out on your wife because she burns dinner. What in the hillel? Good one, Matt. Life there. You see, this argument went on and on and on. And Jesus just said, look, this is the way I see it. But we'll talk about it when we get to Matthew 19. So then we move into another story. Change subject, so we drop that verse. Change your mindset here. Verse 19, he goes into another story. And never, ever, ever is this described as a parable. You see, because a parable, you guys know what we've said about parables. Parables are the stories that Jesus tells that has a hidden meaning that the Pharisees, those that blaspheme Jesus, they wouldn't understand. They wouldn't be able to see the truth from it. But he would pull his disciples aside and he would explain the parable to them so that they could truly understand what Jesus was teaching them. Well, never is this story described as a parable. In other words, Jesus is saying this is what happens. He says, it's really Jesus' explanation of how wealth is not the determining factor for who enters heaven. He says, there was a rich man who would dress in purple and fine linen. That obviously displayed that he was a very wealthy man if he was in purple. It all had to do with the dye. Feasting lavishly every day. But a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, was lying at his gate. He longed to be filled with that, with what fell from the rich man's table, but instead the dogs would come and lick his sores. You got that visual? Dude's like laying at the gate, probably dirty, half clothes, got sores all over him, dog licking his wounds. Getting that in there. Make the story come alive to you. It says this. One day the poor man died and was carried away by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. And being in torment in Hades, he looked up and saw Abraham a long way off with Lazarus at his side. Now let me explain this. Let me try to explain this. I've explained this many times in here already. But it seems like every time you explain it, people are hearing it for the first time. It's one of those things. But based upon what we've just read right here, is that when you die, I'm going back to this story. When they die, they went to a waiting place. This waiting place was considered the underground known as Hades, which you would be familiar with, that's a Greek term. Greek was used in writing the New Testament, so as you read the New Testament, it's going to say Hades, but in the Old Testament, it was written in Hebrew, and the word for the underworld is Sheol. Sheol. 
Sheol and Hades are the same thing. It's the underworld for dead people. All right? In that underworld, it says that there is a ravine that separates two places. It says that the poor man who was having his sores licked went to Abraham's side, Abraham's bosom, paradise. Look at this. This took me a while to create this. (laughs) I had to get my spacing just right. So on the one side, you've got Abraham's bosom and you've got paradise. And anybody that was redeemed or saved that believed that Jesus was the Messiah, when they died, would go to Abraham's bosom or paradise. Anybody that was lost or unredeemed, talking about the Pharisees, those that were following the oral law, when they died, they would go to hell. Got it? Everybody got it? It all changed when Jesus came and he died on the cross and he was resurrected. When he was resurrected, guess what? That waiting place for the redeemed, those who were saved, those who were in Abraham's bosom, those who were in paradise, rose with Jesus and are with him in heaven. And today, when we die after the cross, those who are redeemed, those who are saved, those who believe that Jesus is the Son of God and died and forgave us of all of our sins, we die and our spirit soul goes to Jesus in heaven. And we know that because Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5.8, in fact, we are confident and we would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. When our soul and spirit is away from this body, it goes to heaven. That's good news. There's no waiting place for us, Abraham's bosom, anything like that. There, that, that place is non-existent anymore. Once Jesus was crucified on the cross and he was resurrected, that place became no more. Hell's still there. The unredeemed still go to hell. There's a waiting place there. When Jesus comes back and how the end times unfold and everything else, there will be a day of judgment. There will be a day of judgment, and those that don't believe, it says, the scripture says, will be cast in the lake of fire. And then there'll be no more hell. No more waiting place. That's a temporary place. See, you may be learning something today. But it's just a holding place. There's two sides. The unredeemed and the redeemed. And this is what Jesus is saying when he's talking about the rich man and Lazarus. He says, Father Abraham, he called out, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I am in agony in this flame. He just described what hell's like. Like he's pleading to the other side. Can he communicate to the other side or is he communicating 
with the father. He says, son, yes, he's communicating with the other side. Abraham said, remember that during your life you received your good things just as Lazarus received bad things. But now he is comforted here while you're in agony. Jesus saying, you see, it didn't have anything to do with your earthly situation. It all had to do with your spiritual situation. What you own, what you have, what you do, isn't what gets you to heaven. It's your heart. It's a heart matter. Do you believe? It says this, besides all this, a great chasm has been fixed between us and you so that those who want to pass over from here to you cannot. Neither can those from there cross over to us. There's no, once you're down there, that decision is made and you, you don't jump back and forth. And the rich man's realizing this and he says, Father, he said, then I beg you to send him to my father's house because I have five brothers to warn them so they won't also come to this place of torment. Please, Send somebody back up there and tell them that Jesus is the Son of God. That He is the Messiah. That He is the Savior. Somebody please, because I don't want my family to go through what I'm dealing with right here. But Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets. They should listen to them. Quit listening to the oral law. Just listen to the written law. They've got everything that they need to see that Jesus is the Messiah. They've got all the prophets that pretty much said the Messiah is going to be born in Bethlehem, and he was. They have everything to show him that. And he says, he says no, Father Abraham, he said, but if some, someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. We're getting ready to get to John chapter 11, and guess what? Jesus is going to raise Lazarus from the dead. And he's already like told the Pharisees, he's like, they said, show us more miracles. Show us, show us that you really are the Messiah. He's like, I'm going to show you one more miracle. And that's going to be the miracle of Jonah. You're going to see somebody raised from the dead. He's, he's already told them that. They're looking for it. They're waiting for it. And then we're going to get to John chapter 11 and he's going to raise Lazarus from the dead. And guess what? They're still not going to believe. Even though the dude down there is like saying, just raise somebody from the dead so that they can tell them that you're the Messiah. Jesus, Abraham's like, yeah, that ain't going to happen. That ain't going to happen. They're not going to believe. They're not going to believe that Jesus is the Messiah. In 31, it says, but he told them. They don't listen to Moses and the prophets. They will not be persuaded if someone rises from the dead. They can't figure this thing out, the Mosaic law. They ain't going to get it. Now, this is a story that Jesus is telling to the Pharisees right there. We're not talking about something that actually happen but he's explaining to him what is going to happen guys I don't know how many other ways I can tell you this 
I don't know how many other ways that I can tell you that I'm the Messiah and that you're coming down to the end. And then he gives some more warnings as we move into Luke 17. He says to his disciples, again, he's got his disciples he's talking to. Pharisees are standing around. Jews are standing around. He says, offenses will certainly come, but woe to the one through whom they come. In other words, you guys are teaching incorrect theology. Disciples, look, you need to know the word, and you need to stick to that. Anything that comes from man is not going to fly, is what he's telling his disciples. He says it would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck. And he's talking about the Pharisees, somebody that takes the truth and takes theology and just kind of like twists it. He says, better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea than for him to cause one of these little ones to stumble. Be on your guard. If your brother sin, watch this. <laughs> this is huge right here. Be on guard. If your brother sins, rebuke him. We've talked about this many times in here. We all blow it. I blow it. You blow it. And so when we rebuke, we rebuke out of love. Hey, man, I want to remind you who you are. Right, Matt? The Holy Spirit's convicting of us of our righteousness. I want to remind you who you are. The things that you're doing aren't lining up. You can say that in love. Rebuke him. And then it says, oh, this is huge. And if he repents, forgive him. Man, that's how I value a friendship right there. If you repent, all right, let's go at it again. If you repent, another chance. If you have a repentant heart, <laughs> well, but what we have in today's society is we have, they weren't really repentant. Who am I who am I to say who's repentant? Who am I? I they weren't repentant. They couldn't they're, they're still You know what repent means, right? It's not it's not asking for forgiveness. It's like saying I changed my mind about something. Like I want to change my behavior. If that's the case, if that's the case, that you want to change your behavior and yet you still blow it again, I believe you can still have a repentant heart. And so I have to look at your heart. I'm not going to look at your behavior. I'm going to look at your heart. Well, because watch what he says here. Well, watch this. Watch, watch, watch. He says... And if he sins against you seven times in a day, means he can have a repentant heart. He doesn't want to do the things that he's doing. He says, 
and he does this seven times in a day and comes back to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. We all in this room probably have some kind of addiction. It's hard to overcome. But it's not about what you do. It's about who you are, about your heart. I've walked and walked and walked with men and women who have done things that they don't want to do. And I'll keep walking with them as long as they're repentant. You guys have walked and walked and walked with people in this room who keep doing things that they don't want to do. And I pray that you keep walking with them. We're quick to pass judgment on whether a person's repentant or not. My prayer is that God will give us discernment. Look, I, I, I totally believe that I can forgive somebody that has a repentant heart, but at the same time, I may have to protect myself, and I may have to protect my family. And I may have to protect this ministry. But that doesn't mean that uh, I don't forgive them. I don't forgive them. I know you're sitting there like, you're, you got all sorts of things going through your head right now. I get that. Uh, you know, honestly, if I talked about one public situation right here, right now, one specific public situation there would be so many opinions in this room that there would be disagreement on how it sh- we should respond to it. Like, you just, just go on Facebook. You'll see it all over the place. How do you respond to those who are asking for forgiveness, asking, saying, I repent, I've changed my mind, I was wrong. I'm still, I know I have this problem. I know I'm still blowing it. I repent, yet we... We want to, like, throw things at them. And if you, like, show them grace, then you're going to get thrown, things thrown at you. Trust me, I've seen it. I've watched, I've watched it played out. I even threw something out there about God, trying to defend my God a couple of weeks ago, and people are, I don't know. <laughs> it's crazy. And that's all Jesus is saying here. You must forgive him. And then to close, he says, the apostle said to the Lord, increase our faith. He says, if you have faith the size of the mustard seed, the Lord said, you can say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it will obey you. What? Really? First of all, that's kind of a weird vision that you'd, uproot a mulberry tree and put it in the sea, but here in this room, I believe that there's incredible vision. That God has given each of us a vision about you as an individual, you as a family, you as a ministry, you as a community. I believe God's given you vision. I believe he's given me vision. And what he's saying here is, is if you really believe, if you really have faith, then you're going to... Uh, live out there on the edge 
You're going to live out there on the edge. It, it, to, for you to have faith, otherwise you're just doing the same old thing, the mundane thing. But he's, if you've got faith, ooh, be ready. Be ready to do some crazy things. Watch what he says. Which one of you having a servant tending sheep or plowing will say to him when he comes in from the field, come at once and sit down to eat. Instead, will he not tell him, prepare something for me to eat, get ready and serve me while I eat and drink. Later you can eat and drink. Does he think that that servant, does he think that servant because he did what he was commanded? In the same way, when you have done all that you were commanded, you should say, we are worthless servants, we've only done our duty. Now, I know that's confusing, but really what he's saying here is this, is we all have earthly things to do, and it's kind of our deal. We've all got jobs, do your job, it's expected for you to do your job. Should you be patted on the back for just doing your job. Or, what if you went above and beyond? What if you went above and beyond? Well, you, you would have to, one, trust the Lord. And you would have to become dependent upon the Lord to do that. And then it would be the Lord that would do it in your life. And the honest truth is, it doesn't have anything to do with you. It's just being obedient and trusting. He's saying this. I want you to open your eyes to the things bigger than you can imagine. Open your eyes to things bigger than you can imagine. And then, trust the Father. Tracy wants to go to Israel? <laughs> I bet you Tracy goes to Israel. Open your eyes. Trust the Father. Jesus, thanks for uh, this morning. Thanks for uh, thanks for your word. Thanks that we can I thank you that we can just like take this book. And you can really cause it to come alive. That we can see the pictures, we can see the stories, we can see it, and we realize that uh, you love us. That you absolutely love us, that you care about us, you want us to live this adventure, you want us to enjoy life, you want us to love one another, you want us to forgive one another. God, you've, you're a loving God, a good God. And I thank you for that. I thank you for... Uh, my friends here, just to be able to live with them together in community. And I trust them. And uh, I trust you with them. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.